so this morning, this today is the greatest day of the year. Today is the greatest day of the year celebrating the greatest day of human history. Today is better than your birthday. I'm sorry. <laughs> today is better than Christmas. Today is better than your anniversary. Sorry, babe. Because today, Jesus is risen. He is risen. Jesus is risen. He's not gone. He's not dead. He's not disappeared. He is risen. And He sits at God's right hand. And He is coming again one day on the clouds of heaven. Does anybody feel like they need to say amen to that? Amen. Amen. I've been working this week, and I I came in, i got to tell you, I came into uh, the office uh, on Monday, and I started thinking about, I had this sermon and this passage prepared, and I was going to preach out of the end of Matthew's Gospel, talking about how Mary came to the tomb and it was empty. And as I got in here, I started, I was, this question came to me. This question of how do Jesus' death and resurrection matter to us? And, I, I, you know, I was like, but God, I've got a sermon. I've got a text already picked. And it wasn't the one. And I felt, and I started reading through the New Testament, flipping through pages, and I came to this letter that Paul wrote to Ephesus. And we'll get into that in a minute. But I've been feeling this question this last week. What do God's, what do Jesus' death and resurrection matter for us? Has anybody wrestled with that question before? Now, I know some of you have been following Jesus for a long time. And you've probably thought about this question some. You've thought about this question, what do Jesus' death and resurrection mean for me? And so maybe you're thinking, oh, you know, actually, Jason, that's an interesting question. I've got some answers for you, and there'll be a chance. We'll get to hear from you from, on those. But I want to encourage you that this morning, it's also good to, to focus on this question, to reflect on this question, to ask this question again. What do Jesus' death and resurrection mean? matter to me. Some of you are here today and you're visiting and you're not sure yet about Jesus. You're not sure yet about, about faith and who Jesus is and what he's done and, and the death and resurrection. You're not sure yet how it matters to you. I want to encourage you. This is a big question and we're going to start talking about it today. This is a big question because it matters to those of you who've been following Jesus for decades and it matters to those of you who are still have questions about it. What do Jesus' death and resurrection matter to us? That's why I love the Word of God. That's why I love the Scriptures. Not only does the Bible talk about God's great plan of salvation that begins at the, at the moment of time and, and travels all the way through human history, to include us, as God wanting to restore us in a right relationship with him. Not only does it have God's grand story of redemption, but it also has questions or answers to life's biggest questions. If you would open up your Bibles to Ephesians or also in your uh, bulletins, there's a white sheet that has a, the passage of Scripture on it. Just right here if you want to look at that with me. Paul wrote this, this bit of this passage of the scriptures. He wrote this to a church in Ephesus. For those of you who don't know Paul, as Paul is one of the first pastors. He actually lived and he actually wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. Writing it to a church. Trying to explain to them, help them understand who they were. Who we are in light of Jesus' death and resurrection. 
Listen to what he wrote. He said, in the beginning, I'm sorry, this is a letter, I'm sorry, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is that plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised. And he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Pretty amazing stuff. Pretty amazing letter that he wrote to this church in Ephesus. There's a couple parts that I want us to focus on, though, things that I think that are good for us that we need to hear this morning. The first thing that I want you to focus on is, if you have that sheet in front of you, there's a, there's a bold text, the top bold text. Or sorry, the, the, it's in the middle, actually, of the sheet, but it's bold. <laughs> and it says this. It says... Uh, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. It's amazing when you think about it, but but through Jesus, before anything was even created, God loved you. God loved you and he chose you. And he adopted you into his family. Now, I know that that sentence, and actually that whole pass, that whole sheet is actually one sentence in Greek. It's crazy. And I know even looking at even a part of it can be, sort of feel like a mouthful. But let's break down the parts. The first thing is that before God created, before he created the world, before he created the universe and the cosmos, he loved you. Before he created this earth, before he said, let there be light, and there was light. Before he said, let us create humanity in our image, and he created them. Before all of that, God loved you. God loved you. God loved you, and he chose you. I can imagine how some of those words hit some of you. God chooses you. Times in your life when you have not been chosen. Times in your life when you have been rejected, betrayed, 
But since the beginning of time, God has chosen you. He didn't get stuck with you. He didn't lose and have to take you in a bet. He chose you. The creator of everything. God who created the air we breathe, this world we live on. God created it. This God, this amazing God who did all of this, chooses you. And he adopted you into his family. Some of you have experience with adoption. Maybe you know someone who is adopted, or maybe you have been adopted yourself, or you have adopted a child. Right now, Tracy and I are in the process of adopting a child. And it's hard to explain, but we already love our child. We have already chosen our child, and we don't even know her name yet. I'm going to say her. I don't know if it's a him or her, but I'm going to say her today. We don't even know her name yet. And yet we pray for her all the time. We have chosen this child, and we don't even know if she's born yet. We don't even know if she's conceived yet. And yet we still pray for her, and we love her, and we choose her. I think this is just a glimpse of what it's like, of how God loves us, and how he has chosen us. Before he created anything, he loved you and chose you. I say this because it's important for us to realize that that God loves us and chooses us not because of something we've done. Not because we're really, really nice people. Not because we're really, really good at following the laws. He did this because he loves us. Not because of our faithfulness, but because of God's faithfulness. You are chosen. You are loved. And he's done all of this through his son, Jesus. He's done all of this through him. Through Jesus' faithfulness. Through Jesus' life and death on the cross and in his resurrection. Through God's faithfulness, we are chosen. Not by our faithfulness, but by his. It's not by luck that we're chosen. It's not by philosophy. It's not by being really, really nice to people. Though that helps. That's good. Be nice to people. (laughs) But it's because of God's faithfulness. Because we serve an amazing God. An amazing God who, from the beginning, before everything was created, He chose you. And He loved you. And He adopted you into His family. But we need to talk some more about how He did this through Jesus. If you want to take a look at your white sheet here. There's a bold section right below the one we just read, and it said, So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. And this is the part I want you to listen to. He said, He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. I want to talk about that first part where He says that He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom. We are saved, we are forgiven because God loves us. Not by something we've done, not by how hard we work at it, not by how well we keep the rules, but by God's love, by His grace, by His faithfulness. Now I know like, for some people that is difficult 
to accept. That's hard to swallow. It's hard to swallow the idea that God has given you a gift like this and he's not asking for something in return. He's not making a trade here. I know some of you, you grew up and it was, it was driven into your head. You don't get anything for free. There are no free lunches. If you want it, you've got to work for it, right? Don't listen to things that are too good to be true, but I'm telling you this is too good not to be true. You have been saved by grace. God chose you long before this world was created. And this amazing gift, and I know it might be hard for some of you. Some of you might be thinking, I just can't, I don't know how this works. I mean, something so amazing is free. How does that work? There's got to be a string. I'm telling you, there is no string. This greatest gift of our life comes not by our faithfulness, but by God's faithfulness. It's by God's faithfulness that we have been chosen. Not something that we've done not how smart you are or how good-looking you are, but by His faithfulness. By God's grace. So it says it. so Paul, when he's writing to this church, he says, he says, so God is so rich in kindness and grace that He freed you, that He purchased your freedom through the blood of His Son and forgave our sin. How does that work? How does Jesus' blood, how does Jesus dying on a cross and rising again, how does that purchase my freedom? How does that work out into forgiveness for me? And that's kind of the question we're talking about today. How does Jesus' death and resurrection matter for us? Now, this is a big question. Okay, I mean, and I feel kind of funny in some sense because Christians, followers of Jesus, have been talking about this for thousands of years. Thousands of pages have been written about it. And so there's lots to think about here, but there's also a simplicity to it. Simplicity that children understand. But sometimes we as adults have so much trouble. And it's this, that the first part is that uh, Jesus purchased this through his blood. Our freedom has been purchased through his blood. And our sins have been forgiven. And I know it's Easter and we're celebrating and nobody wants to talk about the S word. But sin is a reality. We do horrible things. Not you, of course, but other people, right? We do horrible things to each other. We say horrible things to each other. We cut corners on each other. We lose our patience and we get angry with each other. And we look back over our lives and we see the things that we've done, things that we are ashamed of, things that we regret, times when we've lied to people, when we should have spoke the truth, times when we've cheated people, when we should have been fair, times when we betrayed people, when they needed us to come through for them. I'm not trying to run us down. I'm just trying to say it how it is, right? We struggle with these things. The amazing thing is, God is not like this. God does not do these things. God comes through every time. God does not lie. He speaks the truth. God does not cut corners with people. 
in, in religious talk, we say that God is holy. And we still have some sense of what this means, of God being holy. God is different than us, and I praise God that he is. And it creates this gap between us. The way things are, the brokenness in our lives, things that we've done, things that have been done to us, things that that we are ashamed of and regret, they create this gap between us and God. This gap that just seems to keep getting filled up with things that put us farther and farther apart from God. We need help. We need help. We need Jesus. We need the fact that he died and rose again. See, the problem is God is good. God is faithful. And we are not all the time. God is holy. And try as we might, we are not. And that's a problem. And it gets even worse than that, because God, from before the beginning of all creation, He loved you and He chose you. And yet there's still things between us and God. You can see the problem it creates. You can see how it breaks His heart. The distance that comes between us and Him. But it gets worse than that. It gets even more of a, it's even a bigger problem than that. Because God is just. God is a God of justice. So that means that when, when something happens, when, when I lose my temper with Tracy, I know it's hard to believe, but I'm human. When I lose my temper with Tracy and I say hurtful things, God doesn't just say, well, you know, Jason, I'm sure you didn't mean that. I mean, I believe he forgives me in Christ, but God is still just. It costs something. I mean, think about this. Imagine, imagine if God wasn't just. Who'd want to follow a God like that? Oh, you're turning young girls into sex slaves. I'm sure you don't mean it. We want God to be just. You're killing innocent people. You're massacring families and, and, and putting people in the refugee camps. I'm sure you don't mean it, though. No, we want a God who's just. We want a God of justice who stands up for the weak and for the oppressed, who stands up for what's right and what's true. We want God to be just. But it causes problems when we aren't. It puts distance between us and God when we aren't. We need help. We need Jesus. We need him to come and he do just exactly what he did, that he died on a cross and then he rose again. Now this is the part where it gets sort of, this is the part where it gets deep. How does Jesus dying on a cross, how does that change my relationship with God? And we can talk for hours of this. Do you guys have time? (laughs) Good, you're still alive. (laughs) But let me just say this. That Jesus did what none of us could ever do. He lived completely faithfully to God, without sin, without lying to people, without betraying people. He did what we could never do. He becomes our representative, and on the cross, he takes our place. I talked about this in in the letter that Paul wrote to the Hebrews. He said, A man who had no sin in him became sin for us, that we might become righteous. 
He took our place so that all the justice that God had, that all the things that we've done to each other, the ways that we've rebelled against God and just said, you know, God, I know how you want us to live, but I don't care. I'm going to do it my way. All of that has been taken care of with Jesus on the cross. He took the punishment. There was a prophet who lived years, hundreds of years before Jesus. He said, he was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we have been healed. It's amazing how God does this. In some ways it is beyond comprehension. But it's the truth. Jesus died and rose again. We are forgiven, and our freedom has been purchased. So let me bring all this back together. So just to quote this, what we've been talking about here. He talks about, Paul writes to this church and he says, from the beginning of time, or actually before the beginning of time, God loved you. He loved you and he chose you. He loved you and he chose you and he adopted you into his family. And him being so rich, so rich in kindness and grace, that he purchased your freedom through the blood of his son and forgave sin, forgave our sins. Okay, so we've been listening to what Paul wrote to the church. How does this matter for our lives, right? Because the big question that we're still wrestling with is how does Jesus' death and resurrection matter for us? The first thing that I realized as I was working through this and I was studying and praying about this is that it matters for us because we are forgiven. We are forgiven. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, forgiven for what? Like, I'm a pretty good citizen. I don't, I don't speed too much. I pay my taxes. Forgiven for what? We go through life and we collect garbage. Things that we do to people, things that have been done to us, it's garbage and we pack it around. And it's heavy. Like a bag, like a like a bag full of stones, and we pack it around. We've been forgiven. We don't have to carry these things anymore. We don't have to carry this anymore. And there's things that we do when it's heavy, there's things that we do to try and ease the pain. We drink more. We're trying to rely on things like sex or food. May we rely on money or stuff. Or we try to work hard or anything to numb the pain of the weight that we feel. And it's no surprise, you've heard it. People said, I asked God for forgiveness or I prayed for God's help and it felt like this weight was lifted off my shoulders. I felt like I could breathe again. It's funny because Jesus one time, he said this one thing, he said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We've been forgiven. That huge sack, that huge bag of stuff, that garbage you've been carrying around, God has forgiven you. You can set it down. 
cast it off. You have been forgiven in Christ and what He's done. But it gets better. You've been forgiven and you've been set free. You have been set free. Set free from that stuff that weighs you down. Set free from the things that we do to try and numb the pain. You have been set free. And and I tell you, it's like a prison around us. The things that we regret and the things that we are ashamed of, it's like a prison around us. You have been set free. You have been set free. And you haven't just been set free and to go and live life more, more absorbed in yourself. You've been set free into life more full. The kind of life that Jesus talked about. Life filled with joy. And I'm not talking about that plastic grin that you wear. I'm talking about real joy. Real joy. Even when things are hard, even when everything else around you is miserable, you still have that joy. You are still grateful for God. You're still grateful for Jesus and what He's done. But as life lived more full, not just more joy, but also more compassion. You walk down the street and you see people who are barely making it and you, don't, you can't just keep walking by. You can't just act like you don't see them. Your heart breaks for the things that break God's heart. I'm talking about life more full. Not just going through day to day trying to make sure the, ba- the bills are paid. I'm talking about life to its fullest. You have been set free to life like this. And you've been set free into a family. You've been forgiven, you've been set free, and you've been set free into a family. We talked about it a little bit already. You've been adopted into this family of God. Through Jesus, through what He's done, through the cross and resurrection, you have access. You've been adopted into the family of God. And that can be sort of a big deal for people when you don't really have a great experience with family. Now, I know this family isn't perfect. I'll be the first to tell you. This church family, I love this church family. I love you. But we aren't perfect. There's times when we still say things that hurt each other. There's times when we still do things that hurt each other. But we are still family. I mean, since I've come here, I've heard people talk about how grateful they are, about how welcoming this church family is. People come and they feel welcome. They feel like they're invited in. You can imagine this being like our home and we invite people in to come in and sit down and have a meal with us. Bring up another table, put another plate. I'm sorry, bring up another chair and put another plate on the table. But I've also been hearing people talk about more about family in our church. I've been hearing it in different places. Sometimes on Sunday morning, sometimes throughout the week, people saying, I am so grateful for this church, for this church family. I've never experienced a community like this before. I've never experienced love like this before. You don't understand the family that I came from. Just this last week, I went in to visit Roxy, Roxy Meyer, who's in hospital. And as I was driving in, I saw Yvonne leaving, and she had just brought her flowers. And I got there, and I started talking with Roxy, and she's doing better. She's, uh, she kind of... Well, you don't need to worry about that, but she's doing better. And I've been there, I was just there for a little while, and then Cheryl showed up. I was there for a little while longer, and then Dave and Alma showed up. And we were there for a little longer, and then Tracy and my two sons, Corbin and Shalem, showed up. There were seven of us in the room laughing and talking and praying with, praying with Roxy. That's rare these days. 
I was in that room with her, and there were actually three other people in that room. Other than the occasional nurse, zero visitors. I'm grateful for this family. I'm grateful for the ways that we come through for each other, the ways that we show up for each other. This is the family that you've been adopted into. This is the family that you can join through Jesus by believing into him, believing into his death and the fact that he is not dead, but he is risen. So we've been talking about these things, about how this matters for us. This forgiveness that we've been forgiven, but also that we've been set free. And we've been set free into a family, into an amazing family of God. Not perfect, I'm not saying that, but into an amazing family of God. So some of you are asking, okay, so how do I live this out this week? What sort of things can I do this week? What can I start doing tomorrow that helps me with this? That helps me experience some of this? I want you to do two things this week. I know usually it's one, but it's Easter. Come on, we can do two, right? Do two things this week. Give God thanks. Maybe you're not used to doing that. Maybe you don't even know how. I'm just saying, give God thanks. Say, thank you, God, for what you've done. If you look at this, this white sheet, this, this thing that Paul wrote to his church, you'll notice that there's a few places, there's a few words that are underlined. Four times in that short little passage talks about praising God. If you want to experience more of this forgiveness, if you want to experience more of this freedom, more of this family, begin by saying thank you. I'm telling you, it will change things. Just begin by saying thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you died and rose again. Thank you, Jesus, that through your blood I have been set free and I have been forgiven. Just pray that. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It can be just that, God, thank you for what you've done. Begin there, saying thank you. So that's the first thing. Say thanks to God. The second thing is this. Take one step closer into the family of God. Take just one more step. Now, I know some of you are saying, Jason, how do I do that? I've been a part of this family of God for decades. Some of you have been a part of this family longer than I've been alive. I'm saying, take just one more step. Move just a little bit closer. Care just a little bit more for the people of this family. Trust yourself just a little bit more with the people of this family. Commit yourself just a little bit more to the people of this family. I know we live in a time where you kind of want to hold yourself back. You don't want to be hurt. And we feel like it's easier for us to do it on our own. Actually, just this morning, I was reading this article about money and how it's approached in places like Africa, where they don't have a lot of money. This man was talking about his community in, in Uganda. He said, the only time my grandmother used money was when she's using it to pay school fees, to buy us books, or to buy salt. A few times a year, that's when she used money. The rest of the time, it was based on community. He said, we had one jacket. And whenever somebody went on a date, the whole village, they used that one jacket. They treated each other like family. They trusted each other. They committed themselves to each other. I'm saying just take one more step closer. Now some of you are here today and you're still not sure about Jesus. You know a little bit about church. You know a little bit about Jesus. I'm saying take one more step. Take one more step. And if if you want an idea, 
if in your bulletins you'll see these little devotionals. These are just daily readings. Just If you're looking for something, do this this week. Read one of these a morning. There's also books out here, uh, uh, More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. It's a book that talks about Jesus and who he is. Because sometimes people have questions like, well, how can he be this and that? It answers a lot of the questions. Just take that next step. Or maybe it's not cerebral for you. Maybe it's more relational for you. Look at the people in this room. There are people here that you know. Find time this week and just say, can I ask you, why do you follow Jesus or what does Jesus mean for you? I know, well, <laughs> that's funny I say that out loud. I can imagine how, how scary that question might be. But it's okay. Is anybody here going to be offended if somebody asks you about Jesus this week? No. Take one step closer. Do two things this week. Thank God for who he is and what he's done. And take one step closer into his family. I began this morning talking about how, day, how today is the greatest day. Today is the greatest day of the year because it's Sunday and Jesus is risen. I know that things are going wrong in the world. I know that there is violence in the Ukraine, that it looks like there is potential for violence there, for war. Be encouraged. Today is Sunday and Jesus is risen. I know we were talking about, we were praying about how, how the people in South Korea, that ferry sank, and there are families who are grieving, people who are lost, but take heart. Today is Sunday and Jesus is risen. We talked about this morning about how there are girls who are being sold in slavery, women who have had to work all night because they are sexual slaves. Take heart, because today is Sunday and Jesus is risen. We talked about it already. There are people in our community who struggle with addiction, who are dying from alcohol and from drugs and from addictions in their lives. Take heart. Today is Sunday and Jesus is risen. There are people in our community who who are abused, Children and women who are afraid, who live life in fear. Take heart. Do not be discouraged because today is Sunday and Jesus is risen. There are elders in our community, men and women who are senior citizens, who are left alone, who are neglected and forgotten about. Do not be discouraged. Today is Sunday and Jesus is risen. I know that some of you are struggling in your marriages right now. Some of you are struggling in your relationships right now. Do not be discouraged. Today is Sunday and Jesus is risen. I know that some of you are sick. Some of you are recovering from surgeries or you're looking forward to surgeries or have things coming. Do not be discouraged. Today is Sunday and Jesus is risen. Today is the greatest day. Today is the greatest day of the year and we celebrate the greatest day of human history. I'm encouraging you to remember that before God created all of this, He loved you and He chose you and He adopted you into His family. That He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased your freedom through the blood of His Son and forgave your sin. Do two things this week. Give thanks to God and take one step closer to His family. And praise God because today is Sunday and Jesus is risen. Amen.